worshiping and to continue worshiping as we study Matthew 22 together uh, this morning, a, a, uh, a passage that is, is actually fairly quite known. Uh, there's a basic question that comes out of this passage, and that is, should I pay my taxes? Well, I just thought I'd tell you real quick, if you were wondering that question and you were kind of, you know, wrestling with it, uh, the answer is yes. Pay your taxes, okay? So, it just I'm just giving you the, the good news. Uh, pay your taxes. Um, that is what Jesus will say, though I will say, when he says this phrase, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, this passage obviously does give perspective to taxes, to government, uh, although I don't believe Jesus' primary intent in this passage is to talk about taxes and government by itself. He's actually talking about allegiance. So Jesus is talking about allegiance in this passage. Now, when I say allegiance, what comes to your mind? Pledge of Allegiance, right? Yeah, that's me too. Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, so kind of interesting, you probably knew this, I didn't, but the Pledge of Allegiance was written by a magazine columnist in the late 1800s as a marketing gimmick. Did you know that? I know that. So they created this Pledge of Allegiance because this magazine wanted to be able to sell, obviously, magazines and additional merchandise, so they wanted to sell American flags to the readers. So they created this pithy pledge to be able to communicate something kind of neat for them to be able to sell flags. But here was the genius part, okay? If you're into marketing, this is, you can learn something, right? They wanted to get this pledge in the schools, because they knew if the students started saying this pledge, their sales would go up, and it worked. <laughs> it worked. This pledge, so we had D.C., New York, and Chicago started having their students say this pledge in the schools, and then it went across the towns of the U.S., saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Their sales went up, but also an allegiance to America went up, and it was a win-win. And now we are, 130 years later, students still saying the Pledge of Allegiance before school starts. Isn't that amazing? I think it is. Um, fascinating story. Uh, here is one of the first Pledges of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. What's missing? Under God. It was the 50s that Congress actually put in under God in the Pledge of Allegiance to where it's one nation under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. I believe Matthew 22, Jesus would agree with that addition, okay? Matthew, he would agree. Yes, all authority is under God. 
And that is what he wants to prove to us this morning as he sought to prove it to the Pharisees and the people that he was talking to in Matthew 22, that your primary allegiance, church, is to God first. That's it. That is what Jesus wants to nail down in this passage, your loyalties, first and foremost, is to God. Pledge your primary allegiance to God above all, above all, by submitting to God's authority and by giving your life to Him. That is what Jesus is seeking to accomplish for us this morning. Now let us be convinced of it. Let us read in Matthew 22, verse 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances. So tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Father, as we consider your word, may we marvel. May we marvel as well at the truth that you are proclaiming. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would instill in us only what you can do. Great allegiance to you first and foremost. Well, church, as we consider this story, uh, we kind of see in this story that there are enemies. Jesus has some enemies right now that are seeking to trap him and entangle him by asking him a lose-lose question. The question was really about allegiance so just remember, at this time, you have the people who really love Jesus. It was just a few days ago, right, that Palm Sunday, Jesus came in and everyone's super excited, thinking that Jesus is going to be their king of the Jews and he's going to bring, you know, political independence to them right then and there. And they're super excited, loving it. And then you also have, on the other hand, the rulers who don't like him. 
They did not like the influence that he was gaining with his miracles and his teachings, and it made him nervous, right? It made him nervous. So these rulers, they wanted to come up with a divisive question, a lose-lose question that, well, would put Jesus at a disadvantage. And the question was this, is it lawful to pay taxes? To Caesar or not. Now, the reason it was potentially a lose lose question is because if he said yes, he alienated the people. If he said no, then he was committing treason against Rome. No good outcome, right? Yes, no, oh my goodness, what do I say? Well, the reason why this question was, was so potentially divisive in that time is we have, to, we have to remember it was actually a hot topic of the time, okay? It was a hot topic. People were talking about this. It was, it was a big deal. And just to remember, so Jesus was born... Jesus was born, Herod was the king, right? Herod was the king of the Jews, king of Israel. And at that time, Herod was actually really good friends with the emperor because he was really good friends with the emperor's son-in-law Okay, so, so of Rome. So Herod was actually good friends with Rome. Rome liked Herod. They allowed Herod to function in its own kingdom. While in kind of Rome, they were able to function in their own kingdom, which meant the Jews paid taxes to Herod, meaning the Jews paid taxes to the Jewish kingdom. No problem, right? Good. Well, the problem came when Herod died. His son took over, which is just not a good dude. The Romans did not like him, so they fired him. And now they made Israel a Roman province. And they had to give a governor, right, over Israel, because now it's Roman province, and that's Pontius Pilate. So now, at this time, they're not paying their taxes to Herod and to the Jewish kingdom. They're paying their taxes now to Rome, right? They're paying their taxes to Rome, and this was different. And they didn't like it. And I'll tell you why they didn't like it. Well, one, they didn't like it because they had to give their money to Caesar. And Caesar was just not a good guy. He claimed divinity. He stated that he was God. So can I pay and support somebody that says he is God? Is this right? Is this moral? Should I pay my tax? But then the other reason that made this kind of weird is that this was a double tax. So the tax that was on the Jews was called a poll tax. And a poll tax, the Roman citizens did not actually have to pay. It was only those in the provinces. And Caesar literally called this tax a badge of slavery. So you have the Jews... Not only should they even pay their taxes to this guy they don't respect, but 
it's wrong. Like, why are they double taxing me? Badge of slavery? Should I really be doing this? I don't, I don't agree with the tax. It's going to somebody that I don't respect, that claims deity. You can imagine, right? You can imagine the toil. You can imagine the, the strife, right? And so the rulers are preying upon this reality. That's why they come up with this question. <laughs> so what happened? What happened? You have the Pharisees, right, who are strict observers of God's law, join up with the Herodians. The Herodians are strict observers of Romans' law. Okay? Two enemies find a common enemy, become friends. Didn't Lincoln say that, I think? Maybe? I don't know. But uh, you get the idea. Um, so they come together. They have a common enemy, all right? And they want to figure out how do we take this guy out? So they create the perfect trap. Now they approach Jesus. They say, teacher. So I want you to hear this. Hear this. It is flattery, okay? So this is what they're doing. They, they want to flatter Jesus. Teacher, you know. You know that you are true, and just teach the way of God truthfully. You just don't even care about anyone's opinions. You're just not swayed by appearances. You're the flattery. As if that's going to work on Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. I read that. I'm like, really? That's your like angle? Um, but at the same time, I'm also reminded that flattery is very powerful. Think about Samson for a moment. The entire Philistine army could not take Samson down. But the flattery of the Philistine woman, lying about the love that she had for him, took him down. Flattery is real. And I think this is a reality that we need to remember. This is an, a, one of the fiery darts the enemy uses. He sought to use it towards Jesus. He seeks to use it towards us. We should never consider ourselves seeking to flatter others, which means saying something that we don't believe is true about that person to get something that we want. Let's not do it, right? Come on, it's evil. And we have to protect ourselves from letting others do it to us. So we see is happening. While one degree it seems, why would you do this? But it's like, okay, it does work. Uh, there is power in it, but Jesus being Jesus, <laughs> um, it does not work on him, okay? He sees through the malice. And the rulers, they say, tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus, seeing through the malice, he says, well, show me the coin. So, they show them the coin, which is the denarius. So show the uh, denarius. So this is it. This is it. This is the coin. They say, show me the coin. Show me the money. And then he says to the people, huh, whose likeness and inscription is this? Well, they say, it's Caesar's. Well, it is. That's Tiberius Caesar with an inscription that says, Son of God. 
So Jesus says, whose likeness is this? Who's from Scripture? Oh, it's Caesar's. Yeah, that's right. So render unto Caesar what belongs to him. And give to God the things that belong to God. And then the rulers marvel. You can take that down. Why did they marvel? Why didn't they marvel? Right? Like they didn't, they didn't respond with snarky remarks. There was no continual debate, no stones being cast, uh, no rebellion against him, all the things that they wanted. They somehow satisfied the rulers, they somehow satisfied the people. Why did they marvel? Because they thought what they were doing was asking an either or question, right? An either or question. Yes or no? Yes or no? Jesus did not answer it that way. He answered it with a both and. A both and. Yes, pay your taxes to Caesar and give to God what is his. And this is what we're going to talk about the rest of our time, is why would Jesus answer the question that only about taxes with yes, pay your tax and give to God what is his? The people, were the rulers asking him, should, should they give to God the things that belong to God? Were they? Well, he didn't ask it, but he answered with it. But that's why we need to consider what was he doing when he added, give God the things that are God's. Now here it is. He's making a statement and he's making a command. He's making a statement and a command. The statement is... Submit to God's authorities. The command is give him, God, your life. Your life. So let's consider the statement that he's making here. The statement of submit to God's authority. So the ruler is only asking, what do we do about Caesar's taxes? Jesus gives the additional statement, give God what is God's. Why didn't he just answer yes to the taxes? I mean, that, was, that would have been a right answer, right? <laughs> Should we pay our taxes, Caesar? Yes. He didn't do that. He added this, and this is what we need to see this morning, and a privilege it is, because you cannot understand earthly authority apart from understanding God's authority. That is why. You cannot understand earthly authority apart from understanding God's authority. They go hand in hand. Jesus is proving this reality in the way he answers the question. You cannot understand, church. You cannot understand earthly authority properly if you remove God from the conversation. You just can't. And he's wanting to prove this. He's wanting to show this to his people. That's why they marveled at the response. So may we marvel as well this morning. Because the moment we remove God from the conversation as we seek to understand earthly authority is the moment we distort it. We cannot fundamentally understand allegiance, loyalty, 
submission apart from God. That's why I said Jesus really liked the addition of one nation under God. He likes that addition. Because it's true. All authority. We are to pledge our allegiance to God. And we understand earthly authority through it. So let us remember, all authority is under God. Romans 13. Listen, listen afresh to Paul's teaching. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. But why? Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So when you resist authority, you're actually resisting God himself. Peter He goes on to say something similar. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Do you see the common denominator? Who's in charge? God. Yes, have an allegiance to that government. But don't think about it as primary. You think about God's rule as primary. Do you know that's what actually what God, or in, in Scripture, it's, what, it's how He defines the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God in Scripture actually means reign. So in Scripture, as you read about kingdom of God, it doesn't mean realm. It doesn't mean a people like it would like with Rome, right? Roman kingdom, you're going to think realm, you're going to think people. Kingdom of God in Scripture is not a realm. It's not a people. It's reign. He Reign. Psalms 103 says it. The Lord has established his throne in the heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So, for me to properly understand earthly authority, I have to see who is in charge because it is God who is in charge. God is the King of kings, He is the Lord of lords. He is the president of presidents. He is the governor of governors. He is the boss of bosses. He is the father of fathers. All earthly authority that he allows, he is over. And so when we obey our earthly authorities, we are worshiping God. Jesus wants to see Great question about taxes. Fill it out a little bit. Have a reason to uh, pay your tax because you are also called to give unto God the things that are God's. And so, we obey. We obey because it is worshiping God. All authority comes from Him, is instituted by Him. 
sometimes we just need a reminder about this. Oh, yeah. Really easy for me to see all of the things I don't like about authorities. But am I seeing God in the midst? Is that my decision based upon what I'm going to feel, what I'm going to think, is, is a biblical worldview? I see God over all. Well, it is what he is seeking to say. Yes, pay your taxes, but do it in a worshipful manner, knowing that no authority is outside of God's reign. Our primary allegiance is to God first and foremost. Obviously, church, in no way. I'm saying that earthly authorities are without flaws. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't see a, hear a big amen on that one. <clears throat> uh, not, not, there are many flaws in earthly authority, right? Jesus saying, yes, pay your taxes. Yeah, hey, give that coin back to him because it's got his inscription on it. It owes. He didn't say anything about how the fact that Caesar is claiming to be God. When Paul wrote Romans 13, remember who was in charge? Nero. Nero. Do you remember Nero? Evil man. Murdered his own mother because he wanted independence to rule. His mom was a big fan of him, helping him. He murdered her. He murdered his first wife in rule. He then wanted to mess around sexually, and so he thought it'd be funny to marry a man in front of Rome and now had homosexual activity. And then he got rid of him and married another woman and killed her. Wow. Am I supposed to honor and respect this authority? That's what Paul says in Romans 13 during that guy's rule. Because Paul was able to see who was in charge. It was God. His first allegiance was to God. And as he looked at earthly authorities and rulers, Paul wrote about how all authorities were instituted by him because he was, had a sovereign control, working all things out for the good of his people. So when we think, should we submit to earthly authority, the answer is by God saying yes. Family, Church, business, government. It doesn't mean, church, right, that you have to play an apathetic, lazy following role. Like you're just a pawn doing whatever somebody states. It does not mean that way. We are to always stand up for moral godliness. Absolutely, we stand up for moral godliness. Proverbs says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. So yes, if authority demands you to commit moral sin, you rebel. If they're not commanding you, 
to moral sin, you obey. How does this sit on you? <laughs> you love it? If we only focus on the what are my rights, we are now fo- taking our focus off who is in We have to always keep our eyes up, knowing who is in charge to honor God through our actions, the way we obey, but also through our speech when it comes to those in authority. Paul, Peter says, fear God and honor the emperor. Paul says, give respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Often it is just very easy for us to maybe just think, okay, I'll just do it, but I'm sure going to dishonor them all along the way with how I talk about my authorities. That is not godliness. Because if I am talking about the authorities that God has instilled, that He is over, He actually states in Scripture that these authorities are His servants. Our eyes have gone from primary allegiance to God to primary allegiance upon what I kind of want. Interesting. We all do this, okay? This is Jesus saying, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up, because that's where you're going to find your hope. You ain't going to find it in your earthly authorities. You just aren't. But you'll always find it in your God. Always. The second point that Jesus is desiring you to know this morning The reason why, he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, give to God the things that are God's, is he wants you to marry that it is his authority over all. That's the only way you understand given to Caesar. And he wants us to understand that he is asking you to give your life to him. Now, you might ask, I don't see that in Scripture right now. <laughs> Where does that say that? Like, give unto God the things that are God. So let's look. Let's look here. I love this. Uh, so, one of the reasons I think Jesus is really seeking to, to make this point is it's very, very easy for us to, well, just want to know whose is whose. Whose is whose? I, I think so. My my children have this habit um, of getting food and putting their name on it. I don't know if any of yours does, but in my refrigerator right now, you will find big Chick Fil A sauces with Mercy's name on it. <clears throat> you will find a chocolate syrup with Ellie's name on it. <laughs> the kids wanted to make sure they let everyone know whose is whose. 
Now, to be fair, you go into the pantry, you will find two Tupperware containers for tortilla chips, and one says, Dad, and the other says, Kids. <laughs> there are priorities in life, friends, okay? Do not mess with my tortilla chips, all right? I'm going to put my name on it so everyone knows whose is whose. All right, so I guess it, it, it's all because of me, but... Uh, the Lord Jesus, he wants us to know whose is whose as well. And, and this is why he's coming to this passage and he's, and he's saying, give to God the things that belong to God. He wants us to know whose is whose. We belong to God. He wants that point to be known. So how does he make the point? Look, how does he make the point about whose was Caesar's? And what was Caesar's? How did he make that point? Yeah, the image on the coin, right? The image that was on the coin is how he made the point who that coin belonged to. So then Jesus says, give to God the things that are God's, begs the questions, friends, what are the things of God? It is that which God's image is upon. What things are God's? If I have to give the things that are God's to God's. What are the things of God's? It is the things that His image is upon. And church, who's got the image of God? You. What is the image of God on? You. You. Genesis just says it. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. You are created in the very image of God. He stamps his ownership on you. He makes sure you know whose is whose. No question about it. He puts his image on you to say that you belong to him. Your identity is in him. Your purpose, friends, is found in being the image bearer of God. This is good news. And so for that, he says, you give the things that are God's God, great, you're the image bearer. Give your life to Him. All that you are. No ifs, ands, or buts. You give your entire life, every single aspect of your life to God. Do you really think the IRS would be okay if you're like, you know, I'm going to kind of pay what I want to. Is God okay? Just kind of give me what you want to. No. He says, give to God all things that are His, and that is you. So you must give Him your all. Your all. How much, church? Your all. Is anything off limits? No. Often we... Try, 
But Jesus is reminding us something. When we think about an image, an image is made to image. That's what an image is, right? An image is created to image. Well, that means we are created to image God. We are created to reflect for you to look at me and for me to reflect who God is. We got a mass problem. I don't do it very well. <laughs> we have a problem. Instead of reflecting God, so often we reflect selfishness. We reflect anger. We reflect identity issues. Wanting our identity to be an authenticity. Wanting to follow our own heart. And we know that enmity towards God comes in our souls. Beautiful example from Athanasius. He says, when Adam was created, think, when Adam was created, he was a beautiful portrait of God. And on him was the image. But at the fall, the portrait got wrecked. Adam no longer looked like God. He looked like selfishness, unholiness. The portrait was ruined. So how, how could this precious portrait of who God was come back? How, how can we restore this beautiful picture that got ruined by Adam when he sinned. Well, the problem is, is nobody saw it. Nobody saw what that portrait was of God. And so man from time is trying to restore and repaint and, and create what that image of God looks like. But the problem is, they can't. They don't know what it was. The original subject had to come and have his likeness redrawn on the canvas. So the image of God himself came, Jesus Christ. And he showed us what the image of God looks like in the flesh. And only He can restore God's image on humanity. Friends, trusting in Jesus Christ, being Lord of the Lords, being the very perfect image of God Himself is where your confidence must be. Do you remember Hebrews 1.3? He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint. Jesus, the exact imprint, exact image of God. And it was Him who made purification for our sins. 
Colossians 3 says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Church, as we accept Christ as our Savior, our Lord and Savior, we find our hope only in Him. That is when we become renewed. And what are we becoming more like? Christ. We are becoming made into the likeness of Christ. It's who we were made to be. We were created for this. We were created to reflect who God is. And the nastiness of sin affects it. But guess what? Jesus came to restore. So we don't have to live in this life of not knowing what my identity is and not having purpose in my life and kind of struggling with really what am I here for. We don't have to struggle and stay in that because we can focus on Christ because it is Christ who is our image bearer that we are becoming like. He is the one whom we trust. I read something from John Piper, and it was just this, what does it look like to give your life to God? And he says, it's when one will say this, I am no longer my owner, my master, my king. You, God, are my owner, my master, my king, my father, my treasure, my wisdom, my hope, my peace. It's you who is my satisfaction, my salvation, and I renounce finding all that in me anybody else. I look for it now in you. Because I am utterly yours. Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you given your life to Christ? Hear my, hear my question. Have you given your life your everything. Your all in all to Him. Have you given your all in all to Him? That is what He requires. Give unto God the things that are God's. May this be your, your prayer May this continue to be all of our prayers every day. I am no longer my own owner. I am not my master. I am not my king. Oh God, it is you who is my owner. You are my master. You are my king. You are my father, my treasure, my wisdom, my hope, my peace, my satisfaction. You are my salvation. And I'm going to renounce today. I'm not going to try to find it myself. I'm not going to try to find it in my government. I'm not going to try to find it in my, my family. I'm not going to try to find it in my bosses. I'm not going to try to find it in my church. I'm not going to try to find it and all the earthly authorities, I will find it only in you. Keep my eyes on you, Jesus. Because only on Him we find reason and hope. So may we daily, church, daily, look to our Savior.
daily look to our Savior. We're going to end in a second. And uh, <laughs> Micah showed me this uh, interesting video on TikTok or Instagram. Okay, Instagram. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and uh, it was just this interesting, you know, guy having an example about how a glove is, well, an image of the hand. And would you all agree that a glove is made in the image of a hand? Here's my glove, right? Here's the hand. This. The purpose of the glove is to have a relationship with the hand. Without the hand, the glove has no purpose. But the glove finds its purpose in life when the hand enters the glove. Just like the glove, church, you are made in the image of God. Your purpose is to have a relationship with God on the inside. When the image of God, you have a relationship with God, that is where you find life that is where you find strength. That is where you find peace. That is where you find joy. That is where you find identity. And I share that so it is an encouragement to each of you. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, may today be the day. Lay it all down before the throne of grace, and you will receive what you don't deserve. And that is great salvation and love and a relationship with God and restoring what you were created to be. So church, give him your life, your allegiance, your relationship. Would you prioritize every day, church? Every day. Every day. Commune with your Savior. Commune with your Savior. Relationship is communication. Communication is letting God talk to you and you talk to Him. Every day would you spend time in His Word allowing Him to communicate to you. Because this is who you are made to be in relationship with Him. And He's restoring you to be more like His likeness. Church, my prayer for you is that you would find immense confidence in knowing that God is over all authority and that you belong to him. And that the reason Jesus answered this question, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and God, the things that are unto God's, because he wants you to not live your life without keeping Jesus as your primary allegiance. He answers it this way, so that we can see all hope, all life, all identity in Him and Him alone. I want to pray and then we're going to sing an old school song. Some of you may not have even heard it. We're going to sing that we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. Father, we are so thankful that you just did not give up on us when Adam in the portrait of the image of God was ruined. We thank you for sending Jesus to restore 
the very image of God that is in each of us. And would you draw each of us to yourself this morning? May our confidence be greater. May our hope be greater as we engage our community and our authority. May we see you first and foremost as we seek to live faithfully to you every day. May we grasp a hold of the one and only true, faithful, perfect image of God and trust and follow you, Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.